To me, the best way to get product market fit, or the only way I've ever managed to do it, was getting so steeped in the customer's mindset and so deeply rooted in their day and their problems and their needs that the solutions almost appear to you just because of how soaked you are and what their life is like. That's Jack Altman, the co-founder and CEO of Lattice, an employee performance and engagement software company that wants to put people first. Lattice is backed by top Silicon Valley VCs and has a unicorn valuation. The company was inspired by an experience Jack had at a previous company when he saw that staff feedback was collecting dust and employees were disengaged. People feel unsatisfied. People don't have clarity on what they need to be doing to grow their careers, what goals are most important for them. They didn't necessarily feel like there were easy opportunities to be listened to by the company. So Jack and his co-founder ran with this opportunity and founded Lattice. We actually went all in on founding Lattice before we had good clarity, but there was an aha moment. On this episode, Jack shares his aha moment, Lattice's most important inflection points, and his lessons on finding product market fit. I'm a huge believer that the only activities that create value are building software and talking to customers. Oh, and you've probably heard of Jack's brother, Sam Altman. He's the CEO of ChatGPT maker OpenAI. So you may be surprised to hear Jack's cautious approach to artificial intelligence. Could the AI just write performance reviews for us? And the answer is it could, but just creating that document is not where most of the value is. And in fact, skipping the part where you do the critical thinking to get to that outcome circumvents some of the very important work. Welcome to Crafted, a show about great products and the people who make them. I'm your host, Dan Blumberg. I'm a product and engagement leader at Artium, where my colleagues and I help companies build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. Was there something in the water at the Altman household that led you and your brother to become such successful entrepreneurs? That's funny. I I don't think so. We grew up in St. Louis. I think it was a pretty um, regular but very happy, good childhood. I went to public school. I had a great group of friends. Parents were super supportive. It was not a high-pressure environment. I definitely, uh, there's a lot of things looking back that I'm really appreciative for about the, I was going to say the word freedom, but I think just the lack of external intensity that's imposed was really nice. I don't know. I think we just had like a good regular childhood. All right. At the top of the Lattice homepage, it says our mission is to make work meaningful. Can you share what you mean by that and, and how you define meaningful work? Yeah. One of the things I always thought about and still think about is I was very taken by the idea that once you're an adult, a humongous percentage of what your life is composed of is your work. And if you really just take an inventory of your hours, it just is a massive part of, the, of our waking moments. So to me, aspiring to having work that is meaningful to you, which we could talk about what that means. It might mean different things to different people, but where it has substance, where you derive joy from it, where you feel like there's long-term purpose, that to me just feels like such a worthy pursuit. You know, for me now, I, I've got two little kids, I see my friends, and I work. And I'm really happy with that setup. But so for me, having, you know, the pursuit of uh, meaning at work is, is really important. Can you take us back to where you were just before you founded Lattice? What was the opportunity that you spotted? 
I had been working at a company called Teespring, which was an e-commerce company that grew really fast. My latest co-founder and I worked there together. And we actually didn't see the whole surface area of the lattice problem uh, when we started. We just experienced these pains of people feel unsatisfied, people don't have clarity on what they need to be doing to grow their careers, what goals are most important for them. They didn't necessarily feel like there were easy opportunities to be listened to by the company. And so in some ways it was a little bit more like we were seeing you know, the shadow in the cave than the object itself. And I think we only once we got into customer conversations after many months did we really start to grok the underlying problem set, but we could like sort of smell smoke even if we hadn't seen the fire yet. But it was firsthand experiences of a lot of these things that just happen if a company's not really proactively investing in HR stuff like this. And I think that's, you know, common. Yeah. Congrats on making the earliest reference to Plato in a podcast interview that we've done. I've yet. never made it before. It just kind of, it just kind of. Spoke I like it. So as you're emerging from from Plato's cave, and like, what was an aha moment that made you, you know, see things a little more clearly, and, and then decide to go all in on founding Lattice? Well, we actually went all in on founding Lattice before we had good clarity, but there was an aha moment, probably like yeah, eight months in, something like that, where we had been kind of banging our heads against the wall with our first product, which was like a a goal setting tool that was going to help companies set and align and manage goals. And it just wasn't quite working. People thought they wanted it, they would start using it, and then it just didn't fit the mold easily enough. Keeping users retained was just like too much effort from our side. It didn't have a natural pull. And so at some point we talked to our customers who we had you know, become friends with, had built real relationships with in the process of developing this first product, and we kind of asked them, what else do you use? What else is important to you, but you're not getting what you need? And we just heard about performance reviews over and over. What was interesting was once we decided to do it, instead of with the first product where we built the whole tool and you know production code and let customers start using it and tried to grow adoption, this time we would show design mockups and people would agree to annual deals with that. And that had never happened to us before. And then once we got going, it was just the go-to-market side was easy. And so we had this moment of we were like, okay, that's what it feels like when people want the thing. That's amazing that you were able to sell with mock-ups. Can you give a little more detail on, on what you did the first time that was over-productionalized and then, and then how you were able to sell with not yet built software? Yeah, the first time we, we didn't go to people until we had working stuff for the most part. I mean, we would email people and say, you know, are you interested? But they would say, yeah, once it's ready versus the second time around, you know, here's a whole storyboarded set of mock-ups and you're going to do the performance review in this way and here's how peer reviews are going to work and everything else. There were definitely things that changed between the first go and the second go that put us in a position where we were able to do that. We understood the customer much better. We understood their needs and their problems in a much deeper way than the first time when we were actually really just meeting HR people for the first time. But then also it was just, I think, learning how to do this, you know, learning how to take a product to market for the first time. And I think we, aside from having better context, we just had a better approach. You just had more reps, it sounds like, is also part of it. Yeah, and I think we learned, I, th I think the first time you think that it's going to be the feel and the tactile use of the product that's going to sell people. And there are certain product categories where that's right. Extremely high polished productivity tools come to mind. But... 
in most cases, I think what you're really selling is a solution to a problem. And if you can show people what that solution is going to be, they'll hopefully tell you yes or no and trust you to be able to build the thing. Can you talk a little bit more about who the the buyer is, who the, the buyer and potentially not always the same person as who the user is and what problems they're trying to solve that you were able to address so effectively? It was a head of HR. You know, in some cases it would be the top, top HR lead. In some cases it would be someone who reported to that HR leader who was like managing these kind of processes. And then to your point, yeah, the users were everybody. So everybody in, in the company is a user of a performance review. Sometimes it'd be a founder, sometimes it would be a COO, but certainly the majority were, were HR leaders. And that actually led to one of the interesting product challenges for us that actually we've had the whole life of the company, which is we have at least two personas that matter, really three, the HR admin who completes a performance review, an engagement survey, a compensation management cycle. In our most recent product cases, the one who administers a core HR system and does all the employee you know, workflows and onboarding and everything else. And then you've got the employees who are in some ways like the end user consumers of whatever that process is. And then there's this third persona, which is the manager, which in Lattice's construct has got a lot of uh, distinct sort of uses. But so that that's a big balance is figuring out, okay, your your economic buyer, your daily user, your key stakeholders, those are all different people and there's different builds for them. So that that leads to a lot of interesting you know decisions along the way. Yeah, how do you prioritize when you have those three different types of users? There's also all sorts of different companies you could be building for large, small. I know you've chosen sort of mid-size as your sweet spot. How how do you prioritize among those many things you could be doing? Well, the unfortunate reality is you have to create a good experience for everybody or it won't work. And so you can't neglect any of those groups. I think what we've found over time that's worked well for us is in given moments in a particular quarter or month or sometimes half, we'll say, you know, right now it's really important that we prioritize this persona. Or right now it's really important that we prioritize existing users. And so to me, there is a little bit of a cyclicality to it and a little bit of like a a judgment. And it's who the product team is prioritizing isn't the same at all moments in time. In the early days of of Lattice, you posted a Twitter thread and some, some lessons you'd learned. And two of them were job number one is get to product market fit, a heuristic for everything you do can be, does this activity help me get to product market fit? You went on and said, you'll know you have product market fit when strangers buy your product, when 20% of demos convert. I mean, you sort of talked a little bit about how you you found product market fit through those demos. What are some other ways that you were you know, focused on that in the early days and, and some you know, lessons you may have learned? One of the reasons I think that that's worth saying, because it kind of sounds obvious, is when you're an early stage product builder, there are so many temptations that sound really reasonable to do. And it's that second part, the fact that they sound like good ideas to do, that's what is tricky. That's where it's easy to get caught. So things that sound smart might include talking to press or talking to investors and fundraising or you know, working on partnerships and biz dev deals. And in the early days, I'm a huge believer that the only activities that create value are building software and talking to customers. It's just so important to not get distracted by the next best ideas. To me, the best way to get product market fit, or the only way I've ever 
managed to do it was getting so steeped in the customer's mindset and so deeply rooted in their day and their problems and their needs that the solutions almost appear to you just because of how soaked you are and what their life is like. And I think when you get to that point, you then get to a place where you get this conviction that of course I need to build this in this way. And of course, customization is the thing that's gonna be the most value to them. Or of course the 360 with peer feedback in these ways is differentiated because I know there are other systems and their other systems don't do that. And so that's gonna be our differentiating angle. And so I think getting to the place where you have this very high confidence of what will solve problems for the customers because you're so rooted in their real experience. I think that's where the good stuff happens. So you have a big release this month, uh, Lattice HRIS. First, what is an HRIS for those who don't know what it is? What pain point did you identify and, and how did you go about building out this new big release? Yeah, it, it's basically HRIS, HR information system. It's basically a database of employee information. That's really the centerpiece of what it is. So the way that Salesforce is a database for customer information or NetSuite is for financial information, that's really what the HRIS is for employee information. There's a set of apps that sort of naturally live around it to help you manipulate that data, to do a couple of other like very central employee-related things. But so it's you know a lot of stuff like employee onboarding and offboarding, reporting the analytics on employee data, vacation and time tracking, integrations with a lot of other systems, like these really core workflows that are all hinged around a robust employee record that is the source of truth for all the employee data at your company. And we had heard this for many, many years from our customers that it would be really helpful if we could build it. I think what we've realized over time in the industry is that the small end of the market has a really great set of tools where there's this like, you know, real all-in-one platforms that are fantastic that can like do a whole lot of stuff for you. But then in the mid-market where Lattice's customers live, the set of options is a little less complete, less obvious. And so we found uh, through just a lot of customer conversations that if we could, you know, add to that set of options with a really robust, uniquely positioned HRIS, you're going to have hopefully a product offering that's really compelling for a lot of people. So we've wanted to do this for a long time. We had an intuition that it would be something people wanted. And we sort of only in recent years got to, you know, a scale where we could pull it off in a reasonable way. What is it about the HR tech stack, about particularly the, the mid-market companies mentioned that it's so messy? Why is it so messy? Basically, by messy, what I'm talking about is that you end up with a ton of vendors, and so you end up with a lot of solutions, like some HR teams that you talk to with a few hundred employees will have 10 or 12 or 15 products. I think Gladys at one point had like 19. And they're stitched together, you're doing integrations as best as possible, but it's a lot to manage, something breaks, you're dealing with 19 or 10 or whatever renewals, which is a pain, you've got all these rollouts, once you have single sign-on now, you've got like all these Okta logins. It's just complicated. and. I don't believe that you can necessarily do a one-size-fits-all company that builds everything super well, but I think you can simplify and clarify that stack by companies continuing to consolidate more and more offerings so a company can use three or four tools rather than 10 or 12. How did you decide what to include and what not to include in the first iteration of, of the HRS you just launched? It was super customer driven. So definitely it was our, 
you know, North Star, a combination of customers asking for it, but us saying, yeah, this is the strategic direction we want to go. But our philosophy is always have your own North Star when you decide a new area to go into and then become incredibly customer driven. So we've been building with small advisory groups among customers of different sizes and cohorts to get feedback on what mattered most to get to the first set of things that were most important to what we thought would be the most customers. And then we'll build up from there. And I understand that Lattice itself, you've been dog fooding this product internally. I'm, I'm interested in how and why you did that and what you learned from your own employees you know, using very early versions, I'm guessing, of the, of the software. The earliest, customer zero. You can't always dog food, obviously. So sometimes a company builds a product that they're just like not the customer of, happens all the time, probably more often than not, actually. But when you can, I'm a huge believer that the best feedback you could possibly get is going to be from the you know 500 and change employees that work at Lattice, who really care that you know we have a great product for the market, but are now also users of the tool themselves. That's end users, managers, and it's our people team who are the ones who are you know trying to orchestrate a whole HR stack inside Lattice. And so if there's something that's a hair on fire problem for them or something that's really frustrating, we're going to have the tightest feedback loop possible by dogfooding internally. So I've always wanted to do this with each of our products as much as possible. And I've found that like that's where we make huge strides. We happen to be a company that can use our own products. So I just I think if you're able to, it's a huge advantage. And now that you've announced it publicly, what's the feedback been like? Any any surprises? I've been surprised that people have been as receptive as they have. I was, you know, I was hopeful and I, I suspected that people would be interested, but I've just been really gratified that, you know, we've heard from so many HR people that like this has been something they've been hoping Lattice would do. This is something they've been hoping would happen in the market. And so now the onus in my view is on us to just build and deliver something really great to stay true to the way we build product, to being extremely centered on their experience, what they need from us, and just constant iteration and improvement. Right on. I'm interested if you could sort of talk through a couple of different inflection points, you know, as you've grown and scaled. Yeah, there have been a bunch. You know, a couple that come to mind were going multi-product, so releasing our second product and realizing that, you know, being a multi-product company was really important to us. What was the first and then what was the second product and what, what, tell me why that was such an inflection point. Performance management was the first and engagement surveys were the second. And I think the reason it was important was because it turned out that if you're able to build, in this case, those two products well, from a customer perspective, it was truly all upside because you don't have as many vendors, you're going to have a lower cost of ownership, you're going to have the data talk to each other, so now I can ask the system questions like, are my top performers engaged? You don't have as many rollouts that you have to deal with with employees. You just don't have as many like points of integration. So it's strictly better for the customer. And then we quickly realized it was also strictly better for Lattice. It's much cheaper to sell to existing customers than new customers. We are going to you know, have all of these ways in which like the product build compounds on itself where we have reusable components. We have you know, an architecture and system that's already in place. We already have a team that's there. We have more touch points. Even though we are less expensive than buying two systems separately, we still get more revenue per customer. It helped our retention. So it was a true win-win, and those are hard to come by. And it just had a big impact. Another inflection point for Lattice was the pandemic. At first, the world shut off. And so 
we were afraid that nobody was going to buy software ever again. That was what happened first in 2020. We very quickly realized that wasn't the case and that actually tools like Lattice are extra helpful in a remote context where you don't have the in-person touch points to be giving feedback and asking employees how they're doing and having career conversations. And so a tool like Lattice is a big support system for remote companies, it turned out. And then I think in the last, call it 18 months with the tech downturn, there's another a completely separate dynamic going on now, which is that the relationship between employees and companies has shifted again. In some ways, I think in healthy ways and others not, but that has led to a dynamic where the employment relationship and the power balance has shifted. You know, it got very extremely in favor of the employee, obviously, in the sort of height of zero interest rates. And it's kind of swung back somewhat. And I think our customers are grappling with what does that mean for you know, how you should do a talent management program? What does it mean for the way you should think about you know, races and career trajectories? So I think a lot of that stuff has changed in the last couple of years. And so you still need to use tools like a lattice, but the orientation for some meaningful set of our customers has changed. Honestly, I think the question of what does work look like is still in many ways hanging in the balance and in flux. I think inside every company, Lattice included, I think the dynamics of work got so upended in the first two years of COVID that I think there's still a lot you know, that is shaking its way through. I feel like it would be weird if I didn't ask you about AI. I basically ask every guest about AI. And I know it's not integral to what you're doing at Lattice right now, but I'm interested in, in if you see ways that Lattice or, or HR teams in general might be using it in the not too distant future. I think so. I would bet a lot that they will be. I'm skeptical of approaches where AI wants to replace human interactions. So a natural consideration for Lattice, both from our customers and internally, is like, could the AI just write performance reviews for us? And the answer is it could. You can go into you know, ChatGPT and say, please write me a performance review about this employee. I think these good things about them. I think these are the constructive areas. Can you just spit out a performance review? And it will. There's nothing wrong with that. It can be a helpful prompt. But my experience with management and just you know being in the space for a while is that the value of a performance review is mostly not contained in the document. It's mostly contained in the thought process, in the conversation that happens. So just creating that document is not where most of the value is. And in fact, skipping the part where you do the critical thinking to get to that outcome, circumvents some of the very important work. So it's not that I don't think there's any role for it to support. I suspect there is. I'm just cautious about it. Versus AI as an interface to get data out of a complicated system or to query unique insights that would be hard to find. Like who are my top performing employees who are below the appropriate comp band and are showing signs of being disengaged in New York. And it's not that you couldn't necessarily use the tool to get that data out, but AI might be an easy way to quickly access stuff like that. Or show me a report of XYZ. So I think there's going to be a lot of ways that AI makes software easier to use and more valuable in terms of just like getting what you want to get out of it, out of it. But I, I just... I'm hesitant about the places where AI would replace the parts that I think are uniquely human. What's next for Lattice? 
make this HRIS successful. That's the thing that matters. It's tempting when you build, you know, a big product like this to ship it and be like, great, we're on to the next thing. In fact, one of Lattice's company values is what's next. So I'm like the biggest culprit of all time of this. But this is like foundational software for our customers. And so it's extremely important that we get it really, really right and invest not just in launching it, but really landing it uh, super successful with customers. So what's next is make this successful. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. That's Jack Altman, CEO of Lattice. If you're ready to turn your aha moment into a working product or need to scale it up, let's talk. At Ardium, we can help you build great software, recruit high-performing teams, and achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. You can learn more about us at thisisardium.com and start a conversation by emailing hello at thisisardium.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and spread the word. We're eager to hear your performance review. It was a true win-win, and those are hard to come by.